Can we thank God for that? Should we just have a concert today? I hope you prepared more songs. Huh? And Alex, too. What's up? I didn't know we had a, you know, this storyteller, you know, this amazing storyteller. It's Thanksgiving this week. Can you believe it came this quick? I was, I was amazed when they said, oh, yeah, we don't have school next week. What? It's so, it came upon us quick. But is there not a lot to be thankful for? Isn't there tons to be thankful for? I'm thankful for you. I hope it's reciprocated. You're thankful for me. I'm thankful for our school. I'm thankful for our kids. I know there's one particular person here and a couple that is thankful. Maybe they're thankful. Maybe they're stressed out that this week is coming, but... uh, you know, Elias uh, Linares is getting married on Wednesday, right? Are you thankful? Are you stressed out? Is the answer yes? <laughs> yes. But we're thankful. We're thankful for church family. For I'm thankful for my family. Um, praise be to God forever because of what he has done and is doing in our lives. You know it. Sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, great is your name, great is your creation. Because you are the creator. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us and are doing. And we thank you that we have the promise of your soon return. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So most of you know that I do still like going to the gym. I saw that I have my old gym buddy is here from Andrews University. But I still like going to the gym despite getting hurt more often. (laughs) I get hurt more often now, you know. I I remember the first time I really got hurt to the point where I didn't want to go work out for a couple, it it was a leg exercise, and I was doing fairly heavy on leg press, and I had just turned 30. So this is a while ago. I had just turned 30, and I had pulled something somewhere in my leg, and I said, is this how it's going to be? Is this how it's going to be? And it's only gone downhill from there. But more and more, the guys that are even older than me say, there's one thing you need to do. You need to stretch. You need to stretch. And that is the one thing that I will leave out of my workout. I'll do a short warm-up, but, but you need to stretch. I'm like, I'll stretch when I die. You know, I'll rest when I die. I'll stretch when I die. Flexibility is important in strength. Flexibility is important. But ironically, I was reading an article, you know, that was talking about about sports medicine and, and these kinds of things. And stretching is not believed to be the overwhelming 
main factor of if you are flexible or not. It is not stretching. It is water. It is actually something that you put in that makes you more flexible than even something you do. We'll come to this. But, you know, the, the thing is, is you know, I, I can still touch my toes, and it, it sort of depends on what, if I was doing legs the, the day before. I think Rod can probably touch his knees um, on a good day. And you know that we differ in flexibility. But the sad reality is usually flexibility decreases as you get older. We get less flexible. Now, ironically, I believe the same thing happens in our lives, not just physically. The same thing happens here in church. Would you agree or not agree? There are things as we get older that we are less flexible about. But the hard thing with that is when you lack the flexibility, people get hurt. People get hurt without flexibility. You know, we, we talked about this last week. Target, I believe... I will say I believe the target group, even though there were Jewish converts and, and Gentile converts in Rome, the target group first were the Jewish converts. The Jewish converts were the ones that, that were sort of saying, no, you need to do this and this and this to be saved. You need to do that. They were the problem. The problem people were the ones who were the old-timers? You guys offended yet? I'm looking at Bill. But, but you offended yet? You know, ironically, I will tell you. And you might be offended, and I'm okay with that. Because I want you to, to prove otherwise through Scripture. Historically, when people are rebuked, so Jesus rebukes and he says, Woe unto you! Is it usually the new converts or is it the old-time religion people? Be, be honest. Who is it? It's the Pharisees. They're the ones who grew up in the faith. They're the ones who know everything. They're the ones who lived the life, the halakha, and I will explain that later. They walked the walk. And Jesus, you see how Jesus treats the woman that is uh, caught in adultery? He says, we're your condemners. Oh, neither do I. Now, don't go sinning anymore, because that's why you're, you ended up here. He says, I don't condemn you. Does he say, woe unto you, you harlot? Is that how he says it? No. Who does he say woe to? Woe to you, you rigid people. When he flips the tables, it's because of the injustice that the religious people are, are doing. The old-timer ones... Hey, and Paul, when Paul rebukes people, it is not the new Christians that were Gentiles that became believers. He rebukes people that think that their religion needs to be mixed in with this religion. He rebuked Peter. Peter was an apostle before him. 
he rebukes him. Think about even our inspired writer. When was she exiled to Australia? And you all know she was exiled. When she started saying our general conference, our presidents are not living according to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Woe unto us. I am including. Because here's, here's the thing is, we become more rigid. That is the way of life. And what we actually start doing is we start looking at Scripture with our Adventist glasses. And we are unwilling to see it for what it is. We're not, we're not that much different from the Jewish Christians, all right? We fool ourselves if we believe we... You know, you, you think about it. When you start saying that, you start mixing that, the way that we dress, the way that we eat, those kinds of things, as part of the gospel, that's so anti-biblical. It doesn't mean that they aren't for health. The way you eat, if you eat well, promotes good health, right? Yeah, we believe that. Are you saved by it? Are you even healed by it? I would bet you a million dollars, a million that I don't have. I don't work for Kraft Heinz. I would bet you a million dollars that everybody who's lived this health message since we've had it, you know, previous to, you know, that's been born previous to the last 110 years, is dead. Even if they lived the health message, they still died. It didn't cure them of the death problem. They still die. It is not the gospel. The health message is not the gospel. It is a good message. Don't get me wrong. It is a good message. But Paul here is saying, you are mixing all of this together. You are mixing what you think can heal you. And nothing heals but Jesus Christ. Do you agree? Nothing heals but what Jesus Christ does. Nothing. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I will go to my sword. Romans 1, uh, 1 verse 17, just to refresh... Because he sort of puts this out at the beginning. He says, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. By the way, that means from the beginning to the end. There is nobody who will ever have been saved on their own merits. I don't care if it was pre-Jesus or not. From the first to the last, it was by faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, will live by faith. Romans chapter 3, now we're going to move forward. So, the, it, so you see that there is a tie as you move forward to Romans chapter 3 between the gospel and the righteousness of God. Now here's the challenge. All of us have a different opinion 
on what the righteousness of God really means. Because you might think the righteousness of God is something that you do. It's the deeds that you do. And that is sort of what righteousness means. Let's read what Romans chapter 3 says, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. How many? No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. How many was that again? No one. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We need to be healed. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has become known, but that's what they have been testifying to. Jesus Christ alone. Now, I want to, you know I'm going to have to give you some original language. I have to. It's against my nature to not. I will be tortured for the week if I don't. So the word that is translated righteousness in Hebrew actually is the same word as justified. Justified and righteousness are from the same root word. And it's sadak. Say it. Sadak. It's actually tsa, tsa, sadak. The, it also, tzedek is the, is the same, where you get the, the name Melchizedek. It's from this. Melech means king. Tzedek means righteousness, king of righteousness. By the way, in Hebrews where it talks about Melchizedek, it also says that he is the king of Salem. It really is king of Shalom, the king of peace. It says right there. The king of Shalom. He's the king of peace, and he's the king of righteousness. Well, righteousness, according to the Hebrew perspective, it says it is righteous or righteous or just or fair, but it is a word that has a connotation of staying on a path. Wickedness is the connotation of going off of the path. Now, if there is a cliff here or if there is poison ivy here, you know how it is when you are walking with your kids and stay on the path, stay on the path, and all too often the kids want to go off of the path. The idea of tzedek is stay on the path, stay on the path. Actually, if you add a vowel to it and a consonant in Hebrew, tzedekah, that word is translated charity or philanthropy to the poor. It is a word that they use for, for philanthropy to the poor. And the connotation between that is just like a child does not know if they're really tiny, they want to go off the path. Tzedekah is these people cannot provide for themselves. So somebody from the outside must provide. I want you to keep that. Righteousness is about somebody from the outside providing for somebody who cannot on their own. Okay, now we'll go to Greek, the lesser of the two. The stepchild of, of the Hebrew. Now this is according to this lexicon. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Lou, Lou and then Nida, their lexicon. Dikaio is the Greek word 
that says this. It means, this is directly from their lexicon, it means to cause someone in be, to be in proper or right relation with somebody else. This is the word that's translated righteousness or justified, the verb version. To put right with, to cause to be in a right relationship with. Some scholars, however, interpret dikaio in the following context as meaning forensic righteousness, you know, sort of a legal manner. That is to say the act of being declared righteous on the basis of Christ's atoning ministry. But it seems more probable that Paul uses the expression in the context of a covenant relation rather than in the context of legal procedures. There is a broken relationship and he tries to heal it. And only he, he alone is the one that can heal this. I mean, think about, any of you know any really broken families? I mean, broken families probably because one person went and found somebody else. I don't care what you do to try to make that better. The scar is still there. The hurt is still there. I don't care, you know, let's assume it was the guy cheating on the, on the female. You can buy flowers for the rest of your life, every day. But once that marriage is broken, it's broken. I do believe in healing. But that healing happens only because of the Spirit of the Lord. And what we do is, is, is we treat it like, it's almost like we treat whatever, our relationships, like an egg that has fallen on the ground. Have you ever tried to save an egg that's fallen on the ground? Isn't that insanity? I have if it hasn't cracked like a lot. I'll, re, I'll use it if it hasn't like seeped out. You know, if I see it, I'm like, oh, I'll use that and I'll give it to my kids. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, isn't it ridiculous that Humpty Dumpty was sitting on a wall and he had a great fall and all the king's men and were trying to put this egg back together again. That's what we do with our broken lives and we call this thing, it is masked in righteousness when there is only one thing that can put us back together and that's Jesus Christ. Go to the next verse. And we're going to read for a little bit. Because I would rather you get it from Scripture. I want you just to read the Scripture and not necessarily listen to your pastor. Yeah, not necessarily. Just listen to him read. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference Meaning, remember where he was talking about if you're a Jew or a Gentile convert, whatever, you're all going to die, okay? Sorry to be morbid, but you will all end up in the same place. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it doesn't matter who you are, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him... As a sacrifice of atonement, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice 
Remember that word justice is also tzedek in relationship to the path and in relationship to relationship. That's weird. In relationship to relationship. He did it, oh, to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just, again, same word, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Basically, he's saying to be the one that heals the relationship that's been broken. Where then is boasting? Is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. And then he says this, just to make sure it's balanced. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. This only encourages it. It just upholds it. You're broken, people. You all will experience death, sorrow, crying, and pain. All of you. I don't care if you grew up Seventh-day Adventist or Jewish or Catholic or atheist. All of you will have death, sorrow, crying, and pain in your life. And he's saying there's only one thing that will cure. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. He said, I'm going to give you an example. I'll give you an example. And his name is Abraham. And many of you guys know who Abraham is because I'm talking to the Jewish Christians first. And we'll go to, uh, to Romans chapter 4. So remember, there weren't these divisions in a letter. I mean, how many of you write letters with verses and chapters in your letters? My dad does because he writes such big letters. But, but outside of them, outside of my dad, nobody puts chapters and verses in their letters. But there was no chapter division there. And it says in verse 2, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Hey, you worked for it, so I owe you this. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God and who justifies the wicked. By the way, who does he justify? What are you? Wicked? He said it. You're wicked. He justified the wicked. We'll come back to that. His faith is credited as righteousness. So, point number one. Was it good works that made him righteous? Abraham, no. All right, go to four, and, uh, I mean, four, verse nine and 10. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or is it for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? Before it answers that, what was it? Before or after? Before, good. It was not after, but before. 
before he was circumcised. And I think the problem is, is we think, oh, okay, that's a no-brainer. But you don't understand what circumcision meant in that day. Circumcision to a Jew was even greater than the Sabbath is to the Seventh-day Adventists. That's how strong circumcision meant. So when Paul makes this statement to Jewish Christians, it would have been read by some people that the Seventh-day Sabbath in our denomination is not that important. Do you understand why some people actually thought that he was an anti-Jew? They thought, you're an anti-Jew. Anti-Semitic. Because he made bold statements like this. So was it because of circumcision that somebody would be saved? No. So good works, no. Circumcision, no. Okay. Let's go to 13 through 16. So it wasn't through those. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by faith are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Again, is that only talking about Jewish converts? No. He said this, was, this promise was given before he was circumcised, before he was considered Jewish. That's when it was given. So, good works, yes or no? Circumcision, yes or no? Through the law, yes or no? Do you understand why no, though? Because this is all about healing. You will die. Law cannot heal you. Diet cannot heal you. I don't care how healthy you eat. Diet can't heal you. You will die. If Jesus doesn't intervene, you're going to die. What you wear cannot heal you. It cannot heal you. But we spend hours and hours and years and years talking about what people should wear and eat. And no, it can't heal you. Jesus can heal you. That is the provision from God. Here's a problem. A problem. There's lots of problems. Lots of problems with me. You ask my wife. She has a list. I think it's a book. No. (laughs) A lot of us see salvation as insurance. But there is a difference between insurance and assurance. See, with insurance, if you read what I put up here, this actually came from dictionary.com. Insurance is the act, system, or business of insuring property, life, one's persons, etc. 
against loss or harm arising in the specified contingencies as fire, accident, death, disablement, or like in consideration of a payment proportionate to the risk involved. And you say, okay, I don't see a real big problem with that. But think about insurance. And I want you to look at the next slide, which there was stuff there. Maybe you need to, okay. This is a backup plan, right? Insurance is a backup plan. You don't tell your kids if you insure them, which David Dye, have you in, did you in pay for your kids' insurance, their automobile insurance? You, okay. <laughs> but do you tell them it doesn't matter if you get in an accident? I've insured you. It doesn't really matter. No. You say, you do your best not to get, an insurance, uh, to get in an accident. We do have insurance just in case. But with that, next one, your insurance is based on how well you perform, right? Your premiums are based on that. The type of insurance you get is based on how well you perform. And the next one says, your coverage could be dropped if you don't perform well. This is how we see salvation. That God is, is ready to drop you. If you don't perform well, if you do well and you got good grades, you guys know if you've insured teenagers, you got good grades, you get a, you get a bonus. They drive well, you get a bonus. There's no tickets, you get a bonus. And it goes less and less and less. Then when they're 25, you get another bonus. <laughs> so just through age. But if you don't do well, we're going to hike up the price and eventually we're going to drop you. And ironically, I truly believe we have this view of God. That he's hiking up the price and we're on the verge of being dropped at times. That is not biblical. God is doing whatever possible to give you this thing. And sometimes we're like, no, 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 I don't want, I want you to have it. He doesn't want to play this game with us. Now, go to, ins I mean, assurance. Assurance, according to the same uh, dictionary.com, says the full confidence, freedom from doubt, certainty. Freedom from doubt. Can I ask you a question? I should have done this earlier just to see where you were. How many of you, if Jesus Christ came right now, are 100% sure that you would be in the kingdom? Actually, I don't want to see your hands. I want you to maybe go like this. If you, but I don't want us to call each other out. But I will tell you, I've done this every year with my teenagers. And sad to say, I will get about... 5% that will say, I believe it. 5% of our Christian kids believe 100% that they are assured of salvation. And way more of them have been baptized and believe what we believe. 5%. How sad is that? Let me read this. From the signs of the times, from this little old lady 
named Ellen G. White. She says this, You are not to look to the future thinking that, thinking at some distant day you are to be made holy. It is now that you are to be sanctified through the truth. We are to receive the Holy Ghost. We have had an idea that this gift of God was not for such as we are, that, that the gift of the Holy Spirit was too sacred, too holy for us. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter that Christ has promised to his disciples. A little bit further down, it says this, Let us cease to look to ourselves, but look to him from whom all virtue comes. By the way, if there's anything good in any of us, it says it comes from him. No one can make himself better, but we are to come to Jesus as we are. And by the way, I don't think that's just as initial. Some of us say, well, it's just, you know, before you give yourself to Jesus. No, no, no. Come to Jesus as you are, even if you've been in the faith for a long time. Because a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. It's the wicked that stay down. It doesn't matter how many times you fall. Come to Jesus as you are. Earnestly desiring to be cleansed from every spot and stain of sin and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this, listen to this. We are not to doubt his mercy and say, I don't know whether I have been saved or not. What? By living faith, we must lay hold of his promise. For he said, Through, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We should not doubt. I have the assurance. Am I a sinner? Yes. Did I make, do I make mistakes? All the time. Does it mean that I don't want to get better? Yeah, I want God to make me better. But I should not doubt whether I have salvation or not. I claim that promise. Now, to balance that out, there are a couple of statements where Ellen White does say, you know, that we shouldn't, it almost seemingly says that we shouldn't do that. But if you understand her context, she's saying you shouldn't do that, saying that it doesn't matter what I do, I've got it. I'm sealed, you know, boom, whatever I do. No, that's not the case either. God always gives you choice, always. But I will say this. I believe that we are closer to the end of, now catch the whole statement, once saved, always saved. I believe we're closer to that than what we have traditionally taught. Because we have traditionally taught is, here's salvation. Oh, you've messed up. Give it back. Here's salvation. Oh, you've messed up. Give it back. Here, well, let's play this game. It's not joy or peace. This is very stressful for me. But God is saying, keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Until you say, I absolutely don't want it. He said, Okay. That's it. I can't force you. I actually think that that is, there's a semantic there. And I've told a couple people this. I don't believe, and you can, you know, you have your right to disagree with me, you know. You'll be wrong, but no. 
I don't believe that you have to accept Jesus to be saved. (gasps) If you do believe that, then only people that have accepted Jesus, have gone through the act of accepting Jesus to be saved, will be saved. Do you catch that? I actually think it's much greater. It's that God saved everybody. God has saved everybody, and for you not to be saved, you have to reject it. Do you understand the difference? It sounds semantic, but it's a huge difference. Everybody has salvation, and you can reject it. It's more the emphasis on that God did it for everybody. Not that, oh, I got to get these people to accept, accept, accept. No, no, no. It is about God saving everybody, providing enough for everybody. And the people that will not be there, I don't want to be there. But the provision is already made. Look at this. Romans chapter 5, verse, verse 6 through 11. We're getting there. You see, as just at the right time, at just the right time, when we were yet still powerless. So we were still what? Powerless. We were sinners. We were powerless. Christ died for who? The ungodly. He did not die for godly people. Did he need to? He died for the ungodly. That's you. You're ungodly. I am too. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's what? Enemies. We were not just sinners. We were enemies against God. By the way, this is inclusive. We were enemies of God. While we were still enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. We were brought back while we were his enemy. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were enemies of God, and he still died for us. It is not your standing with God and what you do that makes a hill of beans. It only helps in your health. Your, it does help in your spiritual health and your physical health, but it does not in your relationship, in your relation to God, how he sees you. In the healing part of God, how he heals you. There is only one healing process that comes. And who does it say was saved? 
awe. Every single person who has lived, who is living, and who will live is saved. But they do have the choice whether to reject or not. You know, going back to where I said it's, it might seem semantic, this is what Ellen White says in Desire of Ages. Among the heathen are those who worship God ignorantly, those to whom the light is never brought by human instrumentality, yet they will not perish. But they didn't accept Jesus. Though ignorant of the written law of God, they have heard his voice speaking to them in nature and have done things that the law required. Their works are evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and they are recognized as the children of God. The provision was made for them. It's just whether you, you accept it. I mean, it's whether you reject it or not. And here's the reason it happened. Or this is, this is what was provided. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. To end this whole thought off. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, which was who? Adam. And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men, so all of us, all people, because all sinned. So you've all fallen under that trap. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nonetheless, death reigned from the time of Moses to the time of Abraham. So it doesn't matter if we had a law or not. That's what he's saying. There was still death. All right? Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of, those, of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace, the gift, and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. Did you catch that? If the sin went that rampant, how much more did God's grace? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Again, remember, it's about relationship. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin abounded, where sin went rampant, grace abounded 
more. God is bigger. So no matter what you have done, grace is stronger. No matter what you do now, grace is stronger. No matter what you will do in the future, grace is stronger. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works, and nobody can boast. Please stand for our closing song. And as Moses was told by the Lord to tell Aaron to bless his sons and the people, the, ble- the blessing goes as this. Yevareka Adonai vayishmareka, Yaer Adonai panav alecha vichuneka, Yisa Adonai panav alecha vayasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace. Father, heal us. Lord, may we not get in the way of the salvation you have provided already. Praise and honor be to you. May we take this message to the people out there. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Happy Sabbath. It's good to have you here.